Well, good morning, everybody. Here at church, we are finishing our second main series of the year, and this one has been about prayer. We've been together for several months talking about prayer, and particularly since the beginning of September, looking at this prayer of prayers, often known of, as of the Lord's Prayer, or as Reverend Samuel said, Jesus' Prayer. One of the places that this prayer is found is in, in Matthew 6, and today I want to ask you, go, go and find your Bible. Go grab it quick. Uh, I'll, I'll stall for a second, or open up your app to whichever translation, however it is that you read Scripture. Uh, I want you to have that in your hands, because we're going we're gonna to look at some things today. Um, but first, we're going to look at where Jesus' prayer is recorded, which is Matthew 6 is one of the spaces beginning in verse 9. I'm going to read from the NIV. This is what is said. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we all have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This has been our study so far, these words. And and the thing is, Jesus' prayer, as recorded by Matthew, it ends here. Now, next, if you, you look at what comes next, go ahead and look. It's more about forgiveness. He revisits the idea of if we want to be forgiven, we need to forgive others. And I do think maybe this is telling to us. In Christian community, it is to be marked by love, but not just love. Christian community is to be marked by continual forgiveness. I think we lose sight of this one. And I think in in these times, in this context, it's important to pause and recognize that as Jesus teaches us to pray, he talks about forgiveness. And right after in what Matthew records of Jesus' words, we're talked more about forgiveness. But the prayer I was taught didn't didn't end there. Many of you know the ending as we've been taught, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now look in your Bible, though. Is that part there? Most likely, most of you, your translations are like mine, where, where that ending is not in Scripture. Now there's some where it's footnoted, there's somewhere it is placed there with, with a little letter that, that tells you that some translations have this or some, some manuscripts have this. And, but really, it wasn't until around the second century, most likely, but definitely by the fifth century, that this was a part of this prayer every single time it was written. For a couple hundred years, this didn't appear. And then since at least the 5th century, every time these words of Jesus were said, they end it with thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So right away, I want to know, did Jesus really say this? Particularly, I want to know in the way that we do quotes, right? Like right now, it's really important to us what people are actually saying, especially when times are tense and many people are saying controversial things, 
We want exact quotes, and not just exact quotes, but we even want the context to be right. Even the tone matters. I don't want to even just read somebody's words. I want to hear the audio. I want to see their face as they're saying it so I can interpret all of these clues. Particularly in this climate, we want exact words, and we drop our climate, our context, onto Jesus. See, when he taught his disciples to pray, at least as the words were recorded years later by Matthew, these words were not in his teaching. But that doesn't mean that it's really misquoting Jesus. It doesn't mean that Scripture shouldn't be trusted. It doesn't mean that Matthew is a horrible source. In fact, it means that Matthew writes as people in his day wrote. At that time, how you quoted someone is much like Matthew did. It's probably not the exact word-for-word way that it was said. Definitely the events, as we line up gospel next to gospel, we see that the events are not ordered in the historic chronological order that we would often value a document to record things in. Instead, they're ordered together in a way to create the meaning that the gospel writer is intending to. It's not misquoting Jesus. It's their way of honoring and interpreting what Jesus has meant. And in the teachings of Jesus in other places, we see that Jesus is constantly talking about his kingdom. But there is a tension here. And we want to talk about it right up front, because I know a lot of us are living in this space. A lot of us are trying to understand what of our faith we hold on to and what of our faith we let go of. The, the term deconstruction comes up a lot. We're just There's a lot that once was essential that is being taken away as if scaffolding is removed from a building. And if you're in one of these seasons where your faith is being deconstructed, I want to tell you there is grace for you here. But I also want to let you know there's another season that follows where your faith is reconstructed, where you begin to see Jesus anew, and in fact, in more meaningful ways. And so in a direct quote, probably Jesus didn't end his prayer with these words. So when we pray this Jesus prayer, why do we end with these words? I can't answer for all of church history, and I can't answer for the fifth century editorial choices that were made, but I can answer why it matters to me. And so as your pastor, I want to spend a couple minutes to tell you why it is that I find this ending to the Jesus prayer, to the Lord's prayer, to the prayer of prayers so essential and so important. See, there's this fancy word called doxology. It's this liturgical praise of God. It's this exalting of God. And, and it's this space at the end of the prayer where we draw attention back to God. You see, scholars have said that in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, church history has ended this way as a way of exalting God again like the prayer began. And I think this is so important. If you remember, we began this series by looking at this intimate name for God, Father, and how relatable God is, how near God is. And, and then we talked about how holy is your name, hallowed be your name, and how other God is at the same time. We talked about how God is so 
vast and powerful that those both exist, where he is God with us and he is God over us. He knows things. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And yet he knows us so intimately. They both exist. And then we started to talk about your, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. And then over the weeks, if you look at it as a whole, we get real specific on that request. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven first by this daily bread for all of us. Reverend Samuel did a great job of of really talking about rice, if you remember. If you didn't hear it, I invite you to go back and listen to the the podcast, son, where he he shared these words of, of our needs being met by God, of us being provided for. And one of the things that stood out as as he spoke and also stood out as as just in the character of God is this is not a scarce thing. When I'm really seeing God as who God is, I, I realize God's a generous God. So needs are met in abundance. There's provision, there's enough to go around. And we're taught to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will be, would be done in the area of our daily bread. It's not enough that I have bread, but that the neighbors that I passed on the way to record here have bread as well. And we're not satisfied until that happens. And then the prayer of Jesus goes on from daily bread to say, forgive others as, as we're forgiven. Forgive us, we'll forgive others. All of this forgiveness happening, we go from these practical needs to this relational space. And this matters even how we see each other with, within these relationships. Do you see the people in your house or your small group, people you interact with, throughout the week, or even on social media, do you see them as forgiven? Within our church, even though we're virtually interacting with one another, and mostly through Facebook or email, or hopefully some of these groups that are happening, do we continually offer this forgiveness to one another? That's what this prayer reminds us to do, Let your kingdom come on earth as as we forgive like you forgive. So we see that Jesus is teaching us to to look at our our needs, our practical needs, the the things that are required for us to survive, and the relational needs and who we are with one another. And then comes the part, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. See, here we we acknowledge there's another realm where evil exists, where there's disease, hatred, pride, the othering of people where we no longer identify with them. And sadly, most often throughout human history, as we don't identify with someone, we recognize the image of God on ourselves, but not on the other. 
This is the realm where death and decay are at work. This is the part of the prayer where we're asking God to intervene. You see how this all plays out together? We're aware of our needs, and this this prayer can be prayed real slow. Give us our daily bread, and we're aware of our needs right there, and we recognize that God is generous. But we also recognize that often we live scarce. And if I'm living scarce, but God is generous, then that is a place where I'm desperate for God's kingdom to come, to transform me, to start in me. And we move on to relationships, and God is forgiving. And being made in his image, we are to be forgiving, and yet often we're grudgy. I don't even know if that's a word, but like we're gifted at holding grudges. We're gifted at having long lists of offenses that we hold over one another. And if as you pray this prayer, you recognize that difference within you where you can't forgive someone else or you can't forgive yourself, then we bring that before God and say, let your kingdom come in this area of my life where I just can't forgive. Then in dealing with evil, we're not immune. Death and decay are still at work. And if we stop here, if we stop here, at least if you're like me and you stopped the prayer here, you would end it on a sad note. You would end it a bit defeated. You would end it as if we're going to lose this whole thing. And that's why we go to this doxology of the prayer. The kingdom is yours, thine is the kingdom. We've talked about this a lot over the years, but it's important that as we're praying, we recognize where is the kingdom? Where is it? You see, it is not the kingdom off in the clouds acting allergic to this world. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not repulsed by this world. In fact, God declares that he loves this goofy world. doesn't love the impact that sin has had. He doesn't love the structures and systems we build to hurt one another. But he loves this world and he loves his image bearers here. And this is the space where his kingdom is, is coming and has come. When we pray, thine is the kingdom, then we open our eyes to what's around us. We're taught in this prayer to look at our needs and our relationships and these evil structures at work within this world, and yet we do not give them the last word. And I feel like a lot of us are at this space right now. Frankly, this is just a season unlike any other. I've been a pastor for about 20 years. I've never pastored in a season like this. It's dizzying. It can be confusing, it's heavy, and it's very easy to give defeat, to give death and decay the last word. And I would invite you, if 
if you feel that temptation, to pause in your prayer. And to pause and ask God that he may give you strength to hope. And then declaratively say, thine is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Not scarce, but generous. Not harboring ills and canceling one another, but but instead forgiving, not the result of evil running wild, but God's flourishing. That is the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom and the power, God's power at work. Sometimes we see it and it is so clear, it is so energizing, and other times we just don't. As I was thinking about this, actually, this morning, I was thinking of earlier this week, I was with a friend, and uh, we were actually golfing, and we looked up in this tree, and, and he tends to see stuff I don't see. He notices deer where I don't see deer and all of this, and he slams on the brakes of the golf cart. He says, look right there. There's a barn owl. And I look where he's pointing, And he's in awe of this barn owl, and I see tree branches. And I follow his finger up into the tree, and he sees this beautiful, majestic owl, and I see tree branches. And he he had to remind me what a barn owl looks like. And I had to recall the, the colors and the shape and follow the pointing of of his finger and kind of like, oh, okay, that's where I imagine it to be. And then, like, out of nowhere, there's a barn owl in in the tree branch. But there's this thing before that, right? Like, when I couldn't see it, it didn't mean it wasn't there. It didn't all of a sudden appear because I saw it. That owl was there whether I saw it or not. God's power is like that. God's power is moving, friends. It's moving in our church community. God's power is moving throughout our country, around the world. But we need to train our eyes to see it. We need to follow someone's pointing and look in that direction. We need to remember what God's power looks like. We need to remind ourselves and remind one another with our words. So when we get to this point in the prayer, we pray, thine is the kingdom and the power. We pray that we can remember what God's power is and we can recognize God's power at work and we can trust that even when we don't see it, doesn't mean his power is not present. Finally, Let's talk, actually, for a second on why we don't see it. Because I think this is important for us right now. There's a lot going on. This wasn't necessarily in my notes, but I think this is important for us. There is plenty of spaces for us to not recognize God's power at work. There's an election coming, right? There's tons of emotion. Tons of voices, tons of opinions, tons of othering happening. 
tons of concern and worry. I know for some of us, we fear that by, by someone else's vote, they're declaring whether we're significant or not. And we don't know who to trust. We feel powerless. If it's not the election, it's, it's COVID. I talked to another friend today who lost a family member, and this family member didn't die of COVID. But the whole COVID crisis just compounds on everything. We grieve different. We live different. When we do regather, it's, it's not all of us regathering. And even for those of us who are present, we, we gather different because we've lost loved ones. We've lost jobs. We lost memory of how to even relate how we used to. Frankly, forever, we all lost what we used to call normal. Besides that, there's desperate need for justice. Right here in our city, around the country, as our eyes open around the world in different ways. It feels again like, like evil's just running wild. Like systems and structures are just bent against. Those are reasons that we can't recognize God's power. And let me tell you that when I say that, I'm not saying that shamefully to you. I'm not saying that you should and that you need to correct this. No, I'm saying that you are probably exhausted and you are probably feeling a bit powerless and a bit like God is maybe even missing in this season. But if that's you, if that's what you're feeling, then, then follow the pointing of someone else as they point at God's power. Or even dare to, in your prayer, say the words, God, I don't recognize your power. I don't feel your power at, at work. I believe, if you believe, I believe that it is your kingdom and your power and your glory, but I don't see it. So help me with my unbelief and watch what God does. See, this is why it's so important we end this prayer in these ways. See, it's possible that we don't really see God's power at work. And others do, and so lean on the faith of others. Have them point it out. Have them help you spot God's kingdom, God's power. And then we end this prayer a little different with God's glory. See, God's glory is something that doesn't remain hidden. It's the brilliance of God on display. It's God being known. It's God's supremeness and majesty on display. And it's not just for a minute, and it's not just for a day, it's not just in their dreams one evening, but this is forever and forever and forever. Amen. And as we pray for God's glory, yes, it is a, it's a declarative thing. Thine is the glory, but it's also this desperate plea within us. God, would you please reveal your glory? And if you feel that desperation right now, I think then your feelings are pretty in tune with our life right now. 
So next week, worship's going to look a little bit different. We're going to be worshiping at the parking lot of 12-12 at 3 p.m. It's going to be some of us who are here in person, and if you're interested in that, then please register online so that you can participate. Uh, We're going to love seeing you. I cannot wait to see some of you. I, I feel like I've been in withdrawal. Many of you are going to remain at home, and I want you to know that you'll find the service at the same spot. It'll be at 3 p.m. It'll be live. It'll be a little different because it's live and at 3. Uh, But join us on this platform. But next week, we're going to start a series that'll bring us to the end of the year, looking at joy. And I know that joy feels counter to where we are as a nation right now. And maybe that's the very reason we're doing it. See, Jesus said that he came and and desires for his joy to be complete within us, and we're going to explore what that looks like. We're going to explore counterfeits of it and the real thing. Because I believe that there is much for us to discover within joy. And that kind of discovery, I believe, might fuel our hunger for God. Might allow us to see his kingdom and his power at work recognize his majesty here among us. But between now and next week when we're together, I can't predict what will happen. I don't know all that our lives will hold, but I do know this. God's people throughout the years have held fast through dark times. They've been praying these words of Jesus, and they've been praying these words of the church for century after century. And they would kneel, and they would stand, and they would shout together these powerful words of of conclusion. And so no matter what life looks like today, no matter what life feels like, no matter the angle that we're coming from or what we're wrestling with in front of us, I want to encourage you this week to feel the power that we are joining with the concert of saints through all generations who are desperate to see God in provision, in relationship, encountering the evil structures of their day and now our day. We can join their voices in saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.